Well, like Brandon said, uh, thank you guys so much for being here. Um, we appreciate that. And this, su this Sunday, like many Sundays, I continue to see some folks back who I haven't seen for my mask getting fuzzy. I'll just say March, April, May. I'll say like 17, I don't know, 14, 15. I haven't seen some of y'all for a while. So uh, it has been great even today to see some people coming in who used to worship with us before COVID who are back. And it continues to be great. Uh, every week, uh, almost every week, to see families, individuals, people who are newer who are here. And so it's an honor if you're here for the first time again to have you be part of us. So thank you uh, for being here. I'm excited about what God has. And so let me pray, and then we'll jump into it. <clears throat> Father, thank you for uh, the truths that we sung through those songs. And um, just the opportunity for many of us who believe those things uh, to affirm them together as a community and affirm who you are and that our hope is in you and uh, that no matter what is rolling around us because of who you are, we can trust you and we can rest in the fact that you have things under control and that it is well. And so thank you, Father, just for the opportunity as a community to affirm those things. Thank you that you are loving. Thank you that you're sovereign. Thank you that for every single person in the room today, uh, you know what we're facing. You know what we're struggling with, what we're excited about, the good times, the bad times. All of those things are part of your plan, and you are with us in all of it. And so, Father, I pray, even coming out of the singing, that you'll just reaffirm that truth about you in our hearts. Thank you for the chance <clears throat> to press into your word and to think more about what you've preserved for us and uh, the things that you have that reveal truths about you and about us. And so I pray that the Spirit will work and um, that we'll know more about your word and about your purposes and about what you've done in the past and, and what you are still doing today. So thank you, Father, just for being so loving and so kind. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Spirit. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. All right. <clears throat> are you ready? Well, you guys are so, don't do that. Well, you don't even know what I'm going to say be ready for, right? Like, you, you should never say I'm ready unless you know what you should be ready for. But whether you're ready or not, here it comes, right? And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. May you be blessed by that truth. Shall we close in prayer? No, no, no. Humpty Dumpty, right? Some of you know that. Some of you obviously know it because you said it along. Some of you have no idea maybe what that is. Some of you know there's another part to that. But if you just walked into the room for the very first time and never ever before in your life have you heard anybody say to you or have you read these words, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again, you'd be like, dude, what's like, bro, what's going on? Like, who's this fella Humpty? How did he get into these pieces? Why are people trying to put him together again? Like, how, what, you would have no idea about the context. In order to understand that last clause, what you need to understand is that Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. And Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And once you understand about the fall and once you understand about the context, I, don't, I guess he's an egg. I don't know. I did a little research. But anyway, unless you understand the context about this creature's dude sitting on a wall having a fall, you're never going to understand why people are trying to put him back together again. You're going to never understand the full context. Why is he in pieces? How did he get there? Knowing those things are important. And the reason I say that is because today we kind of find ourselves in our sermon series in this like kind of a, a similar Humpty Dumpty moment. And what we've been doing since January 
For those of you who've been with us, and I say this every week because every week there's probably people that haven't been with us since January. We've started going through the Old Testament. We, if you go to the book of Matthew, everything left. So we went back to Genesis, and we're starting in Genesis. And what we've kind of owned is the fact that in the Old Testament, there's a lot of different stories. There's a lot of different people. There's a lot of different events. There's a lot of different literature. Some of us may know some of those. Some of us may know none of those. And so what we're trying to do is say, okay, in the story, what do all these individual stories, how do they tie together? What's the Old Testament about? How does it point to Jesus? What's the overarching narrative that we're looking at? And today we kind of find ourselves in this story where we will never understand all of these books of the Bible. Here's a little list of different books of the Bible. Ezra, Nehemiah, some Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. I know Jonah's not in there. That's okay. Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, or Habakkuk. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. You will, we will together. We're, maybe you've read some of these or you've like been on a, a devotional reading that gets you in some of these. And you're like, okay, dude, I don't like I'm a little confused now. We will never be able to understand this, right? Because in many ways, this is all the king's horses, all the king's men can't put Humpty together. You're never going to understand this unless you understand what comes before that. Because what comes before these things is kind of this Humpty Dumpty moment for the people of Israel. Because what comes before these things is this moment where the people of Israel and the nation of Israel has this split has this crack. And understanding that will help us understand this. And so today, what we're kind of kind of do is, is we're going to press into it. And I say this sometimes, some sermons that you'll listen to by whoever's preaching, tons of application, tons of real life stuff. Other sermons have a little less and they have more teaching, more information. Today's going to have a little more information. You, every 45 seconds, you may not get like this application point that causes you either to fall on your knees in confession or start just weeping for some reason, right? Today's going to be a little bit of teaching, a little bit content, but that's okay because here's why that's okay. It's okay because when I was in seminary, probably about halfway through it, after I'd started to take some classes and we'd go through books of the Bible, the story all started to come together. I mean, I grew up in a church, and I, I can do the Bible trip, but I never really understood how it all connected. And when I started to understand how it all just connected, it was so cool and so encouraging for me. And so maybe coming out of today's sermon, there won't be a ton of application, although there will be some, but you'll start to see like, okay, I understand now how some things in the Old Testament are starting to connect, how they're starting to weave together, and it'll help you have some content and information as you approach those things together. So we're going to think about what happens about here, what happens before those things. We're going to be um, <clears throat> talking about some history, some politics, not our country's politics, not politics of any country currently in existence. Well, that's not really true. I lied. We're going to be talking about politics in the Old Testament, right? What the Jewish people were facing with some kings. Uh, and, and we're going to pull some of that information. And then we're also within that going to see two application questions, two things for me and two things for us to really kind of wrestle about and think about. So our text is going to be, we're going to be walking through mostly 1 Kings 11 and 1 Kings chapter 12. And so if you've got a Bible, if you've got a device, you can certainly get to that. We'll have pieces on the screen. But let's review a little bit. 
The first service did not fail me. And I know that you won't fail me either. This is the dangerous question that whenever anybody who communicates asks, this is the question that causes us to go home and cry because we get so insecure if you don't answer it correctly or if people don't answer. But I'm going to risk it. I'm going to put myself out there because it's rainy. Does anybody remember what we talked about last week? Please say yes. Yeah. Okay, good. More than yes. Somebody, what, what did we talk about last week? I'll make you a hint. It rhymes with ring. Huh? Yes, a king. All of you who proclaim that so boldly, on your, whenever we open up that coffee bar, like 22 years from now, just get your free coffee on me, okay? Yes, last week we talked about a king. We're tracking Israel's history, and we saw that they reached this moment, right, where they wanted a king, they wanted to be other, like other nations, and we saw that the object of that request was not wrong. But the reasons for that request was wrong. And so despite the wrongness of the reasons, God in his sovereignty, right, gave them what he wanted. He gave them a king. And with one of those kings, he also gave them some promises to a dude named David. We'll talk about in a second. Kind of he, he continued this promise to King David. And he said, okay, David, I'm going to make you a promise that my plan to continue to fix everything involves a king. And it involves a king who will be related to you. And David, there will I'm going to give your people rest because you're living in a broken world. And everything that got messed up in the fall, I'm going to fix ultimately and bring rest. And I'm going to do that not only through a relative of Abraham, who's a Jewish person from the land of Israel who offers blessing, but I'm going to do it through that person who's also a king. And David, there will always, always, always be a king related to you who's ruling on the throne. The Davidic covenant, you said it to the person at Starbucks, I'm sure, when you ordered your coffee last week. So this idea of kings started rolling. We didn't really talk about Saul, but the first king was Saul. Then there was a dude named David, and then David dies. And true to his promises, God has his child, right, his, his heir, Solomon, take over as king. We're at the point in the story now where Solomon's been ruling for uh, many years, right? We're probably a couple of decades into Solomon's rule. And, and here's what this king named Solomon, related to David, his son, has done so far. Some of the things that King Solomon did. First thing that we see, he defended well, Israel and, uh, well, let's go to, um, yeah, he defended Israel's borders. Let's go to a map. Let me show you this map real quick. I know I'm a little out of order. So here's the deal, right? Saul, David, Solomon have been ruling this region, this area, and each one of them has made it a little bit bigger. I know I point to this map, and like I said a few sermons ago, I know that the only person who can see this map is me because it's far away for you guys. But you have that big old map up there, right? And so kind of what happened is that like grayish center area that's nice khaki tan gray, that's where Saul, kind of this center area did. Then David came and he expanded it. And so David kind of had this, this green area. And then Solomon came and he made it even bigger, right? So now he's got this bluish area. So this whole greenish, bluish, grayish area, this whole area is where the, the Israel, the land, and the country has expanded to. Solomon is now king. And we can go to the things that he wants to do. Solomon decides to himself, I'm not going to try to get this land much bigger. But what I want to do is I want to strengthen, I defend our borders. I want to make it 
not that we're trying to take over more land, but that we can't be taken over. So he did stuff on the borders. He's moved troops. He grew troops. He did all that stuff. He looked around and he said, man, my dad, David, man, my dad did an okay job, but he didn't really have a big cabinet. He didn't have a lot of advisors. And so what Solomon did is said, I'm going to expand this thing. I'm going to strengthen our borders. I'm not going to get more. I'm going to expand it. And I'm going to have more advisors and a bigger, you know, bigger, bigger secretary this, secretary that. I'm going to expand the size of government. And then, because he was trying to get more troops, strengthen the thing, make government more involved, he realized, whoa, I need a little bit of cash money to make this all happen. So something that happened in Solomon's rule is that he raised taxes. Started taxing the gasoline. When they went to Big Y to get them some hamburgers, he taxed their grocery bags. Okay, wait, wrong, sorry, wrong kingdom, my mistake, right? He didn't do all that, but he started raising taxes. He also got regular gifts from foreign countries. Solomon, he developed this amazing trade, and in Solomon's rule, we're a couple of decades into it, Israel is thriving. Yeah, there's a tax burden that's not good, but it's strong, it's healthy, it's prosperous, it's, it's trading, it's thought of well by other countries, they're giving it money. Solomon also did some things spiritually that are really significant. So one of the spiritual things Solomon did was he built the temple. Until now, there wasn't any centralized, really fixed place for people to worship God. And Solomon said, man, I care about the worship of God so much that I'm going to invest and I'm going to build this big facility so that God's people can come together and they can affirm that he is worthy and they can worship him together. Solomon did that because he loved God, because he trusted God, because he understood the importance and the value of God. Solomon wrote much of the book of Proverbs. Many of the Proverbs, if you've read them, written by Solomon. Solomon wrote a book called Song O Solomon. Maybe the name implied that. You probably don't need a slide. Mm, There's kind of a eh, a lot of scholars for a lot of years thought Solomon also wrote Ecclesiastes. There's some people that are conservative scholars that may question that, but it's pretty likely he also wrote Ecclesiastes. And God granted Solomon just this incredible wisdom. Solomon is ruled. He's built up the the country and the nation. He's done some amazing spiritual things and God has worked through him. And now a couple of decades into his rule, he does encounter a little bit of, it's a little bit of political swirl, right? Anytime you're in politics, anytime you're ruling, there's going to be some people that aren't too thrilled with you. And so there are these two dudes that we read about uh, who in 1 Kings chapter 11, 23, 26, God raised up as an adversary to him, Rezan, the son of Aliado, uh, who fled from his master. So there's this one guy, Rezan, and then there's a second guy, Jeroboam. Sticky note that. We're going to hear about Jeroboam a little bit later. Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, an Ephraimite of Zeradah, servant of Solomon, whose mother's name was Zara, also lifted his hand against the king. Two people that aren't too thrilled with him, one dude, Jeroboam, but overall, he, he's kind of doing great. And then the question is, as another decade goes by, and then maybe another few years tacked onto that leading up to a decade, how does Solomon continue to do? Does he continue to do great? Does he continue to be this godly man, this man who's writing books of the Bible and doing things, or or, or does something happen in his story? Well, obviously, if I'm asking the question, probably something happens in his story. And so 1 Kings 11, 4 through 6 tells us 
decades into his reign, there's a shift, and it says this. For when Solomon was old, he, he reigns for a total of 40 years, so we're getting close to the end of that 40 years as king. When Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after others' gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidians, and after Milcom, Milcom, the abomination of the Anamites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. <clears throat> so Solomon went after other gods, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he did not wholly, completely follow the Lord as David, his father, had done. A guy who wrote a significant portions of the Bible. A guy who said the worship of God is so important and so valuable that I'm going to dedicate years <clears throat> and countless amount of money to build a place for God to be esteemed and valued. That, that guy started well, but he's now on this trajectory to finish poorly. That does he ultimately end up finishing poorly? Well, to the degree that you think he wrote Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes seems to end with a writer looking back over his entire life and saying, look, the thing you should do is fear God, which shows that maybe at the very end Solomon came back. Whether he came back or not, what we do see ourselves in is this guy who is doing it so well, who is doing it God's way, who plays, reaches this moment where there's a shift, where now things are aimed toward this downward cycle and to not to having a chapter where it seems like he could be on the task and the path to finish poorly. What caused that? What caused that? I mean, a guy who wrote these Proverbs about loving the Lord, following the Lord, worshiping the Lord, reached this moment where he didn't and wasn't choosing to do the very things that he wrote to tell people to do. Well, well here's what caused it. Verse 4, we see this. And this, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And this isn't about his wives, right? But the bigger point is this. That Solomon allowed himself to be influenced instead of continuing to be a godly influence. Solomon, instead of walking forward to continue to be a godly influence, allowed himself to have his heart be influenced, allowed himself to reach this chapter where these influences were telling him, hey, it's great. That you wanted to worship God. It's great you built that temple. It's great that you thought God was good. But, but there's something <clears throat> better than that. And Solomon began to be influenced by that. Allowed himself to be influenced instead of continuing to be a godly influence. Which brings us and me and you to this first kind of question. And the question from looking at Solomon that we have to ask ourselves is this. Are you a godly influencer? Or are you being harmfully influenced? Are you a godly influencer or are you being harmfully influenced? And look, 
Jesus, our king, is still in the process of fixing everything. He's still in the process of fixing me. He's still in the process of fixing you. None of us are fixed yet. Right? That's why I love this. It is well when Christ descends, right? So I don't think this is like a one or the other. I don't think it's either we're a godly influencer or we're being harmful influenced. I think both of these happen every day in different degrees. And so I guess probably a more honest, appropriate question is, which one is more going on in my heart, in your life, in our hearts? Our majority of us, are we being a godly influencer or is the majority of us being harmfully influenced? What are you being influenced by? What shapes what you think is true? What shapes what you think is invaluable? What shapes your convictions? What shapes your beliefs? Who shapes those? Who? If you're a middle school student, if you're a college student, if you're a high school student, young adult, grandmas, grandpas, middle 50s, just try to figure, what is shaping, what is influencing you? What do you look at as the source of truth? Social media? Somebody who has a buddy who knows a buddy who has a friend who sent you this Facebook post? I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying, what's influencing you? Who's influencing you? I mean, I know there are a ton of different forces that are coming to bear upon all of us. Our, our students, man, they're, they're every day they're being influenced by all sorts of different things. One of, it was an honor this past week, our, our student life ministry, both in high school and um, middle school, the, going through different things that are influencing them that they're wrestling with, that they're processing through. And part of that was kind of this dating series, this sexuality series. And then some of the questions that came out of that was what does the Bible say about different sexual things? What does the Bible say about homosexuality? And so I had the opportunity this past week with my Starbucks medicine ball tea to come to both middle school and high school and just spend 45 minutes or so with your kids and the next generation telling them, look, this is what the Bible says on some of those issues. And you may believe it, you may not believe it, that's pro- but this is what should influence you as a student as you think about those issues. All of us are being influenced by something. And then the flip side of this is not only who's influencing you, what's influencing you, but the flip side of this is, are you influencing anybody around you in a godly, meaningful way? Well, Solomon allowed himself to reach this chapter in his life where he was influenced by these harmful forces. And what was the result of that? Well, the result of that is that he he slid into sin. And God removed the throne from him a little bit quicker and Solomon passed away. And then here's what we see happen. So after this 40 years, right? And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son reigned in his place. Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. So God is being faithful. It's like, okay, this is David's grandson now. We're relative to David. Rehoboam takes over the kingdom. 
And in Rehoboam's first hundred days, right, when like they did the big deal and I don't know what they did back then, but they have the crown, they put it on them, they got the fireworks, they got the horses. I know they don't have fireworks. They have the horses, they have the big parade. Okay, Rehoboam gets the crown, he gets the big scepter, he gets the big old poofy flowing robe. He is now the king and what does Rehoboam face, right? First hundred days, very first thing that comes across his desk, we see in 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. Here is what Rehoboam does. He's going to be crowned as king. And we read this. Rehoboam went to Shechem. For all of Israel had come to Shechem to make him the king. And as soon as Jeroboam, we heard about old boy before. As soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon. Then Jeroboam returned from Egypt. So a little political dude comes back, the king is literally having the bom, bom, ba, da, ba, ba, da, thing on his head. That was totally the wrong song. I don't even know what that was. All right, and then what happens next? Next slide tells us. And they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel, they came and they said to Rehoboam, Rehoboam, your father has not made, your father has made our yoke heavy. Like, dude, love your daddy. But man, when he was king, He taxed everything. He put this huge burden on us, right? We we don't want to deal with that anymore. So we would love to ask you a favor. And this is what they said. Now, therefore, will you lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us? And we will serve you. This dude's just gotten the crown on his head. And he's like, whoa, it's a little confusing. Like, I thought I was going to go eat some, like, roasted pig or something next. And you're asking me all these hard policy questions. He said to them, go away for three days. Then come back and come again to me. So the people went away. Dude king for like an hour has to make this huge decision. These people come. And so he says, okay, go away for three days. And what did Rehoboam do during those three days? Here's what Rehoboam did during those three days. He goes to two different groups of people for advice. Two different groups. First group he goes to are these wise, godly, experienced wise, older men who, when his dad was in the heyday of serving God, these were the guys who were by his side. These were the guys who had walked with Solomon when Solomon was was chasing hard after God. And so Rehoboam went to those men first, and he asked them. He took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon's father while he was yet alive, saying, how do you advise me to answer these people? Verses 6 and 7 of chapter 12, this is what they say. And they said to him, if you will be a servant to these people today and serve them, and if you will speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. Rehoboam, God has put you in this position to serve other people. God has put you in this moment to be a servant. That is how you are to see yourself and see your leadership and see your power. And what you should do, Rehoboam, is you should serve these people. You should right now, you know what, honor, give them what they want. Make it easier for them. And bro, they're going to follow you wherever you go. How, How did Rehoboam respond? Well, next verse, we read it. But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave to him. He's like, yeah, nope, thank you but you're kind of old, right? I mean, that's like, that's like, you're like some grandfathers. Like, I don't think you know what you're talking about. So he said, I'm going to go to my boys. 
right? Me, some 20-year-old who's never really done this, I'm going to go find me my 20-year-old boys that I grew up with. And so he took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him, and he stood before him. Second group that Rehoboam goes to. He's got this godly group. Now he goes to this other group, his buddies, dudes who have no experience. And he says, hey, what do you think I should do, right? So he asks them the question, what do you think I should do? What do you advise that we answer as people who have said to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on? And here's their response to him. Their response to him is this. And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, thus you shall speak to this people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to him, here it is, ready? My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. That is just weird. I'm glad we don't talk like that anymore, right? Aren't you glad like when you come and say, hey, Peter, like, we love the coffee. Could we maybe get like some caramel syrup to go in it? Aren't you glad that when you ask that request, I don't say to you, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs, right? <clears throat> He's like, and now this is what they keep saying. Whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. What they're saying is, bro, you're the king. These are a bunch of whiny people who have the audacity to come ask you for something. And they need to understand who's the boss. Because, dude, it's about you. And you can't put up with this. You shouldn't tolerate this. You should, if they want to ask you a question, dude, you just got to crush them. Two totally different pieces of advice. Two totally different views of what the rule was. And what we're going to see in a minute is that you know what Rehoboam does? He listens to his boys. He listens to those other spoiled brats who grew up with them, children of privilege, running around the kingdom who had no experience, no wisdom, no insight. And these godly men who had helped their father chase the heart of God, he ignored. And here's the question for me, and here's the question for you. Are you humbly listening to godly wisdom, or are you pridefully ignoring it? When you face moments in life, when you face changes in life, when you face unknowns in life, when you face mistakes in life, when you face successes and options in life and you go and you try to get some wisdom and someone gives you godly wise wisdom do i listen to it do you listen to it when they tell you what your role is and how you honor god in this moment are you like okay or do you think to yourself that is just like some old dude who like used to live in like 1982 i don't want to whatever I know what's better. I know what's best. And if I don't know what's best, then surely my boys who hang out with me who have the exact same worldview, exact same perspective, exact same something are the people to listen to. Do you have people that you can turn to who are older than you, who have walked the road and been that season ahead, who you can say, I've never navigated this. I don't know what to do. What's your story? Who can then say to you, Hey, I faced that once before, and here's what I did. Or who can say to you, hey, I faced that once before, and I made a really bad mistake. And here's what I did. Don't do the same thing that I did. 
And when you get godly wisdom, even if it's hard, even if it's not what you want to hear, if it is godly wisdom, do you listen to it? Do you submit to it? And you know what we all need to do if we want to receive godly wisdom? If we want to have godly people who can speak into our lives, you know what we have to do? We need to be honest about what's going on in our lives. Because if we're not honest about what's going on in our lives, nobody will ever be able to honestly give us wisdom or encouragement or support about what's going on in our lives. <clears throat> One of the most, um, well, that's probably not true. Well, maybe it is. Uh, it's so encouraging to me when I talk to somebody who's a little, who is older than me and wiser than me. And for whatever reason, they sense something's going on, and, and, you know, I decide to be vulnerable, and I decide to tell them, man, this is what I did, or, man, this is how I screwed up. You know, you know what is so encouraging? That happens so often. Somebody that you thought would have never made the same mistake or been a moron like you says to you, man, when I was your age, I'd almost do the exact same thing. And that's an encouragement to me because it makes me realize, well, maybe I'm not the only one who hasn't gotten it all figured out. I'm not the only one who hasn't gotten it all figured out. And you don't have it all figured out. And I don't care if you're 14 or 84. We all need people in our lives who are godly to help us sometimes figure it out. And when we get that <clears throat> advice and that input, we need to listen to it. We need to listen to it. Well, what happened? What did Rehoboam do? Well, the spoiler alert that I think I already said is he didn't listen to the godly guys. He listened to his boys. And so Jeroboam, remember his opponent, his dad's opponent, and all the people came back. Three days have gone past. They came back the third day as the king said and said, come to me again right this third day. And the king answered the people harshly and forsaking the counsel that the old men had given him. He spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but that, you thought that was bad. He didn't really say that. I'm, I'm, I'm adding, right? You thought that was bad. You ain't seen nothing, right? But I'm going to add to your yoke. You, my father disciplined you with whips, but I'm going to discipline you with scorpions, right? He's like, I'm the king. Don't question me. Just be quiet and just take it. And in this one little response that was the result of ignoring godly counsel, this is Israel's, this is the people's, this is his Humpty Dumpty moment. This is when Humpty Dumpty, and if I was smarter, I'd have an egg right now for real. But I don't. But that's okay. You need to use your imagination anyway. This is the moment when Humpty Dumpty is sitting on the wall. And this is the moment when Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. This is the moment when Israel is sitting on the wall. And Israel will have a great fall. And you look on the ground, and there's splinters, pieces, cracks, because here's what happened. The people, this is the Boston Tea Party moment. Great book by Malcolm Gladwell, Tipping Point, about why sometimes there's this trajectory of events that happen, and one event that sometimes can be the smallest triggers this huge response. This triggered something. Israel 
when the people that we now refer to as the Jewish people saw that the king didn't listen to them, the people answered the king. And this is a little confusing, but what portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son David. To your tents, O Israel, look now to your own old house, David, right? And it continues and it goes on. So Israel went to their tents, but Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the city of Judah. Here's what the people are saying. Look, King Rehoboam related to David, related to Solomon. We don't want to follow you. We don't want to do anything to do with you. We're done with you. We're going to secede. We're going to split off. We're going to have the first steps of this civil war. And so what we see is that Rehoboam is now reigning over the people who live in Judah. Okay? Rehoboam is now reigning over the people who live in Judah because this whole other group of people are like, bro, we're not going to follow you. And for that other group, we hear about this other king who takes over in this other verse. And when Israel heard that Jeroboam, I don't know why they're so similar in names, but whatever. When Jeroboam had returned, they they called him the assembly and they made him king over Israel. That big blob of land that used to be united is now split, cracked had a great fall. And here's a map of kind of what happens. This, this big land is now split into two kingdoms. Northern kingdom, from here on out, is going to be referred to as Israel. Southern kingdom, Judah, two totally different countries. One group of people who had been united in one land following one God are now split into two different groups of countries two different countries trying to follow one God, but not united together. Israel is now the northern kingdom. This is where Jeroboam is the king. Judah is now the southern kingdom. This is where uh, Rehoboam is king. And it's a big old crack. They need to be put back together again. Neither of these two kings do well, right? We see what happens. We see that for, uh, I guess, when do we start with Jeroboam? He doesn't begin well, right? Jeroboam 12, we see this in uh, 12, I think it's like 26. Jeroboam sent his heart. So he is the ruler now of Israel, the northern kingdom. Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people goes to offer sacrifices in the temple, then the heart of them will turn again to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam. He's what's saying, look, I got this big people group up here in the northern kingdom. If I allow them to go to the southern kingdom to worship in the temple, they're going to rebel. I don't want them to go there. And so the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, you've gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold, here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Jeroboam, boom starts idol worship in that kingdom. Rehoboam, David's grandson, doesn't do any better because we read this in 1422 through 23, and Judah, southern kingdom, ruled by Rehoboam, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins that they committed more than their fathers had done. For they built for themselves high places and pillars and ashram of every high hill and under green tree. Under every green tree and high hill, they put a little idol. And now we have two divided kingdoms ruled by two different kings, neither of which is fully chasing God, both of which is in this cycle of worshiping idols. 
Israel, interesting, just so you know what happens the rest of the thing, little facts about this. Israel is going to have 19 kings. Ain't one of them good. Judah is going to have 20 kings. Eight of them were good-ish. If you want to read about that, that's what's in 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. Two different historical accounts. We're in, we're, if you were to look at like a little map of Bible books, guess what? We're in the history section. Okay? Two different historical books that tell the same uh, historical facts from the same perspective. 19 kings. Not one of them turned the people to God. 20 kings related to David, who God said, I'm going to work through you and I want to influence through you. And only eight of them were quasi-godly people. I love that over the past few weeks, some of you asked for resources and different things. If you want some resources about more of this, two great books, Kingdom of Priests by a guy named Eugene Merrill, and then A Survey of Israel's History by Leon Wood. Goes all through it. Lots of great information if you want to read more about this in your own time. But, But here's where we find ourselves today. Where we find ourselves and in this moment. And what do all of these books, Ezra, Nehemiah, some Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Micah, Nahum, Haggai, Zephaniah. Now what is happening in all these books? You know what's happening in all these books? The king's trying to put the pieces together again. The king's trying to put the Humpty Dumpty pieces of Israel and all the king's horses and all the king's men are trying to put Israel together again. Because it's through Israel and through a godly cling in that land that God is going to fix everything. And a broken, shattered kingdom that's not pursuing him is not the kingdom that he wants, so he will work in all of this in his plan to fix everything. Part of that is to fix this country, that country, and bring it together and have the people within that country wholly follow him. What does what happens in those books reveal about what God wanted? What do they reveal about the continuing historical facts about Israel? What do they tell us about whether things got better or worse? What do all of these books say about mercy and steadfast love and the constant offer that even when your life gets sent on a trajectory that it looks like it might not end well, there is still grace and mercy and forgiveness? And restoration and love when you come running home. What do all these books say about these people? What do all these books say about God? What do they say about us? Well, that's what we're going to talk about next week, in part. So I'd love for you to come back next week. But as I ask the worship team to come out here and we end our time together, here's what I want us to think about this week. Those two questions we've asked ourselves are you, which, which is more true about you? Which is the larger portion of you? Are you a godly influencer to those around you or are you being harmfully influenced by things that are around you? And are you humbly this week, are you humbly willing to listen to godly wisdom or in your pride, are you ignoring it? Things for us to think about next week as we look forward Uh, Things to think about this week as we look forward to next week and what we continue to see about the history, the people, and our God. Father, um, thank you for your patience. 
Thank you for your steadfast love. Thank you that you never, ever gave up on the Israelites and that country and those people, but you just continue to be there and inviting them to turn back to you. And Father, thank you that you never give up on us, that you will never leave us or forsake us, but that your kingdom is what is strong, your kingdom is what is true, and you invite us to have a piece of that kingdom, and you always, always, always allow runners to come back home. Will we listen to the wisdom of the people who you've put in our community around us who are godly? And Father, will you allow us this week to think about the particular space in which you've put us? Will you give us the privilege of being a godly influence for you there? Amen.